Today's scripture is Philippians 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Look, (laughs) technology is my friend. I just keep telling myself that. Um, So, Donald wants me to tell you that there is no church on November 27th. That is something that Watermark does every year where you can stay home, go visit your family, sleep in. I guess there's some kind of Sunday morning bowling that my daughters wanted to go to forever. And uh, so any of those things or whatever you want to do, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we do not have church. Okay. Um, Well, again, my name is Ruth. I'm one of the elders. And uh, Tommy bugged me a lot. And I told him I would preach while he was on sabbatical. So here I am. And... (laughs) Thank you. This is, this is a little bit hard, but I can do it. Okay, so I can do all things. <laughs> Not really, but that's why I have a grabber and a step stool and a pair of tongs, because I can't do all things. Um, so my daughter, Nicole, who's here today, got me a Bible for Christmas that she'd actually, I mean, for my birthday that she had told me about. And then, surprise, there it was. And um, it's a a really different translation, but I've always liked the way that a lot of the indigenous nations um, looked at community as so important. A lot of times we don't do that. We are individualized. And it's me and my salvation and what can I get and what can I do? And I like this way and I like the way they put that. And I'm going to go ahead and this is it from the First Nations Bible. And they call Paul, they give them like names, which, you know, in a lot of tribes, maybe perhaps not all, was a characteristic. And Paul's called small man because he always said he was the least, and at first I was looking at it, small man, how tall was And I thought, no, it's because of what he said about himself, his humility. And so I'm going to read what it says here. It, it is up there. As you walk the road with the chosen one, have you gained from him courage for the journey? Do you sh- have you found comfort in his love? Do you share together in his spirit? Has his tenderness and mercy captured your heart? If so, then have the same kind of thoughts. Love with one heart, join together in one spirit, and walk side by side on one path. This will make my heart leap for joy. But when you do these things, make sure you do them for the right reasons. 
Do not let selfish ways take you down a path of bragging or trying to look better than others. Instead, let humility be your guide as you honor others above yourself. And I'm going to pray before I start. And I listened to this podcast that's called The Bible for Normal People. And the po- it's good. You should, it's real good. And the, um, the host, Pete Enns, was talking one day. He had a guest on there. And he was talking about when he was in seminary. And um, the professor asked the class, what is the purpose of the sermon? And someone raised their hand and it says, it's, it's to teach doctrine. And the professor said, no, it's not. It's to make people feel the presence of the kingdom of God. And that's what I hope I can do for you today. So I'm going to pray about that. Dear Father, thank you for allowing me to be here. It is an honor, but also a responsibility. Lord, help me to bring a piece of your kingdom into this room. Lord, help me not to make the mic do that anymore. And be with me, be with us in this place. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so the name of my sermon is Storytelling as an Act of Courage. Um, Sometimes it's hard to tell the true story of yourself. Sometimes you wonder, what is my true story? What will people say if they hear my true story. And I'm reading a book called The Soul of Shame. And in the book, the author, Kurt Thompson, talks about how shame is a tool used by the evil forces to keep us isolated so that we feel no one else has experienced what I have experienced. No one else has felt like this. I am alone. And when we buy into that, and when we start to believe that, then shame has done its job. And to break that isolation, to become part of God's kingdom, to be able to share our story with others, to be able to share in community is very important, but can be very hard to do. And I have up here, could you go to the next slide, please? This is a, I read this when I was a very young woman, and it really stuck with me, because I had an unspoken story. And the quote is, it was a very long quote, but this is what stuck out. Whatever is omitted from biography, this will become not merely unspoken, but unspeakable. It's that true. If we hold what we find shameful about ourselves inside ourselves, it becomes bigger and bigger until the point where we cannot share it because we are isolated. Next, that's Adrian Rich. This is some statistics I got this week from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention about child sexual abuse. Look around you for a minute. Keep that in mind, the faces around you while I read this. 
About one in four girls and one in 13 boys in the United States experience child sexual abuse. These numbers are likely very underestimated because many children wait to report or never report what happened to them. I'm talking here about economics because numbers matter in our society. So here's some numbers. In 2015, the economic burden of sec child sexual abuse was estimated to be at least $9.3 billion. Lost days from work, suicide attempts, um, crime, young women being trafficked, uh, mental health resources having to be used. It all adds up. And it all starts with that isolation and with that shame. So you look around, that's a lot. And that might not even touch the surface. Well, I was one of those children. I am one of those women. I am an adult survivor of child sexual abuse. Um, it wasn't easy to tell my story. I started, the first time I told it, I told it out of anger. But my parents got me help. I had, it, the abuse stopped when we moved to Florida because the abuser was not a member of my family but did live in our house, did not move with us. So I was almost 10 when we moved to Florida. And you can bury things and you can maybe kind of forget things if you're busy and you keep your mind busy, but it's never really gone. And so as I reached my teen years, I began to do the kind of self-destructive behaviors that survivors of sexual abuse do. The risky behaviors, the drug taking, the experimenting with sex, those types of things. Of course, my parents, they were freaked out. It was the beginning of the 1970s. So it was like, oh, here comes another child down the wrong way. My brother had already disappointed him, and here I am following. And my, they got very angry at me one Christmas day, 1973, and were screaming at me, and I screamed out what had happened to me. All the anger that I had held inside came out. Well, that shut them up. Um, I wish I hadn't done it that way, but I did need to tell them. And even though it was 1973, which mental health counseling was not really accepted, even less than it is now, um, they did get me help. And they sent me to a psychologist. Kind of made me go, but I didn't mind. Um, we talked about what I wanted to talk about. If I didn't want to talk about that, I didn't have to talk about that. So um, it was a man, which maybe wasn't the wisest decision, but my father was patriarchal, and that's who he knew. So what this psychologist did for me was give me tools for how to work through what I had going on. He told me that it wasn't my fault. I had not done anything wrong. Even if some of the feelings I had got when I was sexually abused were, I, 
what's going on here? What is this? What, what am I feeling? That was okay, because none of it was my fault. So I met my husband shortly after I started into therapy. We were very young. We were just 17. And uh, pretty soon into our relationship, I told him what had happened to me because I wanted him to understand why I am the way I am. And I was still pretty angry. And uh, he, he, he cried because he had a little sister. My sister-in-law is eight years younger than me. And um, so she was like nine at that time. And he started to cry and I said, why are you crying? This is my pain. And he goes, I'm just imagining if somebody did that to my little sister. And I said, oh yeah, you're the real thing. Because you can take what some, someone tells you and you can have empathy for it. And that's so important in this world. And um, we got married and we brought all our trauma and stress into our marriage, as people do. That's what we kind of build our marriages on that. And if you have had problems in your marriage, it is possible that you've brought into your marriage and it's highly likely that you've brought in the generational trauma from your family. And that's okay. But have you learned how to get past that? Have you learned how to ask Christ to bring love into your marriage for that? Well, we were very young. We, I had just turned 18 in September. He had turned, Scott, had turned 18 in the end of June, and we got married the November 2nd, 1974. So we were young. And I could not understand why my father was so angry. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> my, I told my three daughters, don't get married when you're 18. It's not a good idea. But you, no. <laughs> Don't tell me what I did. <laughs> so, um, anyways, we got married, and, you know, we had, it was tumultuous, but we did love each other, so there was a basis there. Um, after we had our first daughter, uh, things went downhill. As they often do, children add a lot of stress to a marriage, and, um, you know, the way you were raised, the way he was raised was different from the way I was raised, his parents were young enough to be, to be my parents' children. So, because I had older brothers and sisters, he was the oldest. So, we're bringing in these two ways that we saw family modeled. Neither of them were perfect, of course. And then we were trying to figure out how to build our family. And we weren't doing a great job. And um, it came to the point where something's got to give. And I, I said, counseling, and he said, I'm not going. Some of you might have been in that position. Fortunately, we were living in Hawaii on the island of Maui, so even in paradise, everything's screwed up. Um, you know, it's just the way it is because we're people, and we bring our trauma with us wherever we go. You cannot move away from your trauma, physically move. Um, so my mother-in-law told my husband, if you don't go to counseling and she leaves and takes that baby, I'll never talk to you again. So he went. 
Um, they, actually, they actually came to our house. There was two counselors, a man and a woman. This, they were a very good social support system in Hawaii. Um, a man and a woman. They came twice a week at first because we were in crisis. And uh, they taught us how to fight. That's real important. You do not always agree when you are married. When you live in a community, you don't always agree. How can you get past that? How can you still love that person and respect that person and disagree with them? It's really hard to learn that. And um, we did learn it. It was tough, but we made it through. Uh, and um, I discovered through those two counseling episodes, phases in my life, that counseling was a way to work out making sense of the world of relationship with others and of myself. And it helped to talk to someone about it. When, when somebody says to you, well, have you tried counseling? It's like, it's the last resort almost. But it's like prayer. I, I guess I'll pray about it. Well, why is it a last resort? Why is praying a last resort? Why is counseling a last resort? because we depend on ourselves to do everything. And then if we can't do it, well, we'll ask God or we'll go try to find a counselor. And maybe we need to reframe that. I had to reframe it. And because if you have trauma in your life, and many of us have, often as you change, your trauma needs to be revisited and readdressed through stages of your life. When my daughters were young, you'll have a hard, I, I tell this to people now and they have a hard time believing it. I was angry. I was an angry mother. I was a screamer. I wasn't a big hitter, but I was a big screamer. Guys, you don't know, I, I dislocated my jaw <laughs> screaming at my daughters. See, I'm not ashamed to tell you that. If I still did it, I'd be ashamed. If I hadn't corrected that, perhaps I'd be ashamed. But I'm not, because that was trauma making me do that. That was trauma behind my anger. So I didn't go to counseling that time, but I sat with myself and I asked God, why am I so angry? And I remembered the words my husband had said to me, what if somebody did that to my daughter? And I thought, in my, inside of me, down in my psyche, there's still a little nine-year-old girl who can't find a place to hide. My children don't have to go through that. But in me, there's that little girl still trying to find a place to hide, and she's still real, real angry that she can't that she couldn't. And I'm unleashing my anger at my children, on my three girls. And that's not fair. And that's not right. I asked God to change me. I actually said, I need to change. I know what the problem is. I know why it is. I need you to change me. Maybe I didn't have the money for counseling. It's very possible. Maybe I didn't have the time. Maybe I just thought this is the way I can go with this. I need to learn patience. I need to 
take that anger and realize where it goes and not unleash it on my children because I am creating trauma in their lives. And I want that generational trauma to stop with me. I don't want it to go on to them. And so that's what I did. I asked God for patience, and within six months, I was working with two-year-olds at a daycare. And, uh, yeah, and then I learned patience, but I learned I also had a gift for working with children, Um, that I could look at them, and I could really see them. I could communicate with them. I really liked them, Um, and I could have fun with them, and... Every once in a while, I would see that one, and it's like, they don't tell you, but you can see there's something in your life that's not right. Let me fill you with all I can, so when you grow up, you won't only remember this, but you remember that someone loved you, that someone valued you, that someone did something with you that was a good experience, because that really makes a difference. And so that's what I did, and... My husband used to say, um, he would say, what, we, what our goal is, is tr- to try to make, to try to be a little less dysfunctional than the generation before us. And so that was his work that he worked on because of counseling. And um, I went back to counseling several more times. Uh, he and I took care of my sister. And for 13 years, she was disabled, and uh, she lived with us, and that was hard, but it was good. It was good because she valued everyone. (laughs) Everyone had value. It didn't matter what, she wanted to know your name, if you, your birthday, if you, if you could tell her your birthday, that would make her happy. And she just valued people. And so I learned from her. And when she died, um, that was very hard on me because I had been her caretaker for 13 years and she was gone. So I went to counseling for a while to kind of reset myself. I'm not her caretaker anymore. So what am I going to do with my life? And then my husband, pretty soon after that, my husband got very ill. Um, he had lung cancer, and uh, he lived for 11 months after his diagnosis. And um, just to let you know, hospice gives counseling to anyone who's had a death. You don't pay. Uh, it's just out there for you. You don't have to have gone through hospice, although we had. And uh, so I, again, I had loved him for 40 years. I had taken care of him for the last 11 months of his life. Who am I now? Um, What am I going to do with myself now? And so once again, I went to counseling for that reset. It was there for me. I'm actually going again because um, I'm entering a new phase in my life. I retired. You know, like many of you during the pandemic, I was kind of, Amazed, I guess amazed would be a good word for it, by people's reactions to different things that happened in the world. And I need to reset myself. I need to talk to someone who's going to listen to me, who's going to ask me 
pointed questions and who is going to help me figure out where I am and where I'm going to go. Also to help me set boundaries because that's always a thing. And if that's what you need counseling for, that's, that's a reason to go to counseling, to learn how to set boundaries if you can't do it yourself. Um, so that's my, that's my journey. There's more to it than that. But those are the big things because what I see as I talk to people is people have trauma and then they just go on. This happens to them and then they just go on. That stays in you. That's like a broken bone that mends, but it's not quite right. And trauma is, um, it can break you. It can break your heart. It can break you physically. It can break you emotionally. And counseling is like physical therapy. After I had my knee replaced, my titanium knee here. After I had that replaced, I went to physical therapy. There was no question I was going to do it because my leg had suffered trauma. And I, I would never be whole again without that physical therapy. And that's what mental therapy is. It is to make you whole again, to, to make you able to live in this world, which is not easy to live in. Um, I think there's another slide, yes. So we offer counseling. Oh, I did want to, wait, I have one more thing. Um, in the verses I read, it talked about um, going down the road. So I'm going down the road now. I'm, I'm pretty far down. <laughs> like, the end's coming. And, um, <laughs> and y'all are on the road. And I know some of you very well. And you've told me your stories. And, it, and it's like, you know what? I have this story. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how I was able to get past things that could have broken me, that could have sent me on the life of some of those young women on Nebraska Avenue, that could have sent me into a world of drugs I couldn't get out of. I had, I had that in my future if it did not get changed through God, through prayer, through counseling. And so as you go down this road, um, I want to ask you, when you, when you meet with people, take time to speak to them words of encouragement. And I remember specifically one woman in my parents' church. My parent, The church isn't any longer there anymore, but it was down on Dale Mabry, and it was a pretty good-sized church. My parents went there. And so when we moved back from Hawaii, I went there for a while. We, were, we had nothing. I worked some part-time job at, um, I think, Ma's Brothers I was working at then. Long time ago, retail, very low-paying. And my husband... Scott might have been a pool cleaner then, or I'm not sure what he was doing, but we had no money. When we moved back, we lived with my parents for a while, and then we were able to save up enough money to get an apartment. That was back when you could do those things. I know it's real hard now. And, um, you know, we had the two little girls, um, 
And I don't think Nicole had been born yet when this woman said this to me. And I was helping out at my mother's church. She was the cook for the private school. And when her person that helped her couldn't come in, I would go in and help her. So I was there one day, and I was helping her. And a woman came in from the church, and she goes, oh, you're Bruce Wells' daughter, aren't you? She goes, oh, I'm so happy to meet you. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. That's, you know, I don't have a really good self-concept. And uh, she says, you know, your father is so proud of you. He, he told me that you could do anything you wanted to do in your life. My father had never said that to me, but she was the voice for him. You know, I remember that. When you give someone words of encouragement, you're speaking into their life. Those words to me at a time when I felt pretty low, because if you don't have money in America, the system tells you you don't really matter much. And this woman looked at me and told me I mattered. And that was a big deal to me. So as you're on this road, we're all on this road, if you see someone and you even just the smallest thing that you could encourage them, you are doing the work that Paul asked you to do, the work of a, of a Christ follower in a Christ-like community. Um, and I'm going to have to read that off of here. I have it. I figured I would. Um, here at Watermark, we, we really do encourage counseling. And I want to, this is from our new, our new webpage. This, you can go here. You can go watermarktampa.com. And um, you go under missions. It's under missions. And then you go under counseling. And they have this there. And I'm going to read what this is. Even though right across it, it says copy, select, all, or add comments. Every time I tried to get rid of it, the whole thing disappeared. So, um, so I'm going to read it because it's real tiny up there. The gospel is not just a means of reconciling the soul to God. It is also the message that God is and will reconcile all things and all people to himself. And he is using the church to accomplish this reconciliation. At the center of a human being and how they interact with God and others are the processes of the mind. The mind is a beloved part of God's creation that he wants to bring under the healing touch of his own hand. Being the body of Christ, we have a special part to play in this world. The ears can listen and identify the sources of pain. The mouth can speak words of truth and encouragement that lead to a right view of self. While we recognize the ability of the spiritual elders in the church to speak of the soul and its needs, we also recognize the ability of the mental health professional to do the same for the mind. Therefore, we have partnered with Christian Counseling of South Tampa and Therapeutic Counseling Support to feed and nourish both the soul and the mind. In doing so, we confirm that no one member of the body has all the answers, and we seek to share the burden of ministry with those among us who are gifted, trained, and able to bear this burden of the ministry alongside of us. And guys, sometimes it is a burden, but it's so necessary. 
I'm so glad people, a psychologist when I was a snotty little 17 year old, two people that walked into a house full of anger, all those people that came into my life, I'm so glad they were there to help me become who I am. All right, and if you could stand, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. I want to thank you for your attention today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's say it nice and loud. You guys have been very quiet this morning. You need to be loud. Okay, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have your best Sunday ever. Thank <laughs> you.